You won't use this message because you're a cowardly, spineless piece of shit. You're a lying, lip-tarted bastard, Jesse Dollarmore, you fat fucking garbage piece of shit. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Episode 399 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore. Seated across from me, the lovely, the talented, the woman of, of, of great intellect who joins me hundreds of times for some reason, my beautiful co host, Brittany Page. I also, I want to say, I'm not feeling super I fantastic. feel like shit right now. Yeah, I'm not feeling super great. So please be a little forgiving of us. <laughs> I, I seriously feel like my voice is... Uh, Hopefully you're not getting sick again. I sound like super radio guy right now. I mean, it's not too far off my normal stupid voice, mm-hmm. but there's just an extra little bit of stank. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hear it going on. Yeah, I hear I'm, not, it. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm a fan. Well, can can we have some sympathy for just me? Why do we have to always focus on you? Always. What yeah. do you mean always focus on me? Well, I'm not feeling great either. Okay, can we get some recognition of that, Brittany? Yeah. Did you just hear what I said? Yeah. That I don't feel very good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How dare you? Yeah, it's kind of happens. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, before we get started here on episode 399, <laughs> uh, I want to mention that last night I was on a show with a guy named Jack Snow, Avalanche of Resistance. Nice. We did a lot of Sean Hannity talk. Perfect. A little bit of um, Russian influence, Russian money, and in, in American politics talk. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. He's actually going to be in studio here on Sunday. Nice. We're going to talk to Harley Ruda again, local. Mm-hmm. That'll be for the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it was a good time, and I would encourage everybody to go over there on iTunes or TuneIn or SoundCloud or wherever you go and uh, check out Avalanche of Resistance with Jack Snow, mm. which leads me also to say <laughs> that, listen, if you're one of our listeners who isn't subscribed uh, by some method to the show, if you go to the website and stream the show, you're not doing it right. Oh, getting called out. There's a way to subscribe to the show in a podcatcher on your smartphone that will deliver the show right to you as though you were royalty or some other highfalutin. I got nothing. I got nothing right now. Anyway, yeah. subscribe to the show. And while you're there, if you're feeling... uh not so uh, bossed around, mm-hmm. <laughs> you could rate and review the show, especially think, on Apple Podcasts. I think they're feeling plenty bossed around. Everybody in my presence apparently feels bossed around, mm-hmm. Brittany Page, mm-hmm. including you. Yeah. Including you. Yeah, that's true. I don't know why you laugh. You 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 do your fair share of bossing around. Mm-hmm. In your real life, your, your daily uh-huh. gig that you go to. Uh-huh. 
you work with kids. You're like tutor kids on how to write and how to how to prep for the the SATs and the ACTs and whatever other bullshit kids have to do. Yeah, yeah. So I do a little bit of that. You're doing tons of bossing around. You're with kids all day. Yeah, but if you're with if you're an adult and you're with kids all day and you're not bossing people around, you are missing a golden opportunity. <laughs> Well, I I don't I don't think there's a lot of bossing going around, but there is. I've started writing down little conversations that I hear. Oh, really? From Between the kids? kids? Yeah. <laughs> because they they say so many funny things all the time and they don't necessarily know that they're funny. Well, give me an example. Um, like th- these two 10-year-olds were talking about a female character in the short story Lamb to the Slaughter by Roald Dahl. And what, what's that? I don't know. Spoiler alert if you're going to read it. Sorry, I'm going to spoil it. Um, the the female character murders her husband in the story with a frozen leg of lamb. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is a children's book? It's a short story. It's a little, yeah. Roald Dahl. He, well, I don't know who Roald Dahl is. He wrote The Witches and... I don't know what that is. Uh, James and the Giant Peach. Oh, I know that one. And... Uh, I know of that the one. The BFG. I don't, BF, that sounds like a rapper. <laughs> What's BFG? Um, The Big Friendly Giant. I, where was I? How do I not know this? This is a famous... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he... Is he, like, akin to, like, a Shel Silverstein? I mean, maybe. Huh. Yeah, I Is guess. this ancient stuff, or is <laughs> no. this... No, it's not ancient. Wow. Uh, okay, so they were discussing this story, and the the male student that I had said, I didn't even know girls could get that mad, referring to how she murdered her husband. <laughs> what? Wait, how old are these kids? Ten. <laughs> And the programming starts early. And I had a girl and she couldn't believe that he said this. And and she's like, what? Of course, girls, they get just as mad as boys get. And they actually have even more reasons to be mad. (laughs) (laughs) And that she is a smart lady. Normally plugged in early. Yeah. Normally, I like to kind of facilitate these discussions and then step back and just let kids kind of talk about it yeah yeah um but and i don't like to show a bias and in this moment i just i had to laugh and so i started laughing and she looked at me and there was this moment of like you get it you know <laughs> you and a 10 year old yeah you, you know what i'm saying <laughs> but it makes me think of um being young and if if oh, i oh to be young if i had teachers that like wrote down things I said, or there were things that I did that were funny or goofy that like stood out to them, Huh? you know, and I'm sure that I can't be the only one that's doing this, you know, I must've been, I know I was a weird kid, like in fifth grade, I had to give, we give speeches. Yeah. I think I was running for like class president or something in fifth grade. Yeah. And I gave a speech on abortion and the oh, evils perfect. of abortion. That's what all as fifth a, graders as do. As a 10-year-old <laughs> to my fifth grade class, like that's going to clinch me the nomination. Yeah. It's going to clinch me the election. For They're class. really passionate about well, it. Well, you know, I, I had a lot of power over abortion policy in, 19, in the 1980s. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> at that time in fifth grade, girls are really wanting to nail down the rights. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> in Missouri, which is where I lived at the time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's uh, 
it is, but it could be extrapolated to a very adult conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That she's all, one, like I said, it's it's kind of a programming thing where girls are are obviously, they're starting to recognize mm-hmm. the, the weird biases that are kind of put on them. Right. But then also, that kid is part of the bias that's being hoisted on her. Yes. Yeah. That, that that's the expectation. Girls don't get mad. Mm-hmm. That that's Yeah. That's it's it's fascinating. Yeah, it it while it was funny, it did make me kind of sad because there there is that expectation that is still there and boys recognize it that girls are kind of just supposed to sit there and not be quote-unquote bossy not be bossy not be aggressive not behave in a way that's more typical of a man (laughs) like murder murder is only for men (laughs) and um (laughs) uh it it was sad but i i i thought it was so profound and that's why i like writing down these little conversations that the kids have because they have so much insight and they're so intelligent from such a young age you know kids kids get things yeah for sure anyone who thinks that kids you can just talk and they're not listening no they're always listening they're always picking things up and i see it every single day (laughs) kids just regurgitating things that they heard at home or whatever it might be yeah um i get to hear the political opinions that their parents have i mean they're saying that it's their opinion but you know where that comes from of course and um, of course i know I grew up with Reaganistas. Yeah. And you know what I mean? That was why what interest would I have as a 10-year-old right. in a goddamn abortion topic? Yeah. Except for my parents yammering on about it constantly. Right. And when I think about that, I'm there's a different kind of horror because of the family that I came from. Yeah. No shit. Um where white supremacists, pictures of Hitler in the home framed um yeah took took the time and the effort to frame it <laughs> um it's not like a, like thumbtack to a bulletin board it's right treated with deference and yes like in middle school i remember getting upset when my teacher was speaking in a way that was <laughs> uh not favorable about hitler yeah, you mean normal yes speaking factually right. about adolf hitler right and i got upset because i was like wait a minute like he's, you know, framed at home. Why are you saying this? Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, and so it makes me kind of terrified on a different level that my teachers were like hearing what I was saying and then, oh my God, what is happening? Yeah. It's weird <laughs> but then that, also not doing anything. So that, that's, nice. that, that's the weird part is not doing anything about it. Right, right. Well, eventually, once once I got to a certain point, they did. So that's nice. After the damage was done. Yeah. I mean, you'd want to kind of intervene <laughs> in the end. Indo- I understand it's difficult, though. I mean. Oh, so it can't be endeavored because it's. No, I, I know that's no, not what you're no, saying. No, no, no. But I'm saying I, I understand. I'm not trying to S on them too much because I understand that it is difficult because you have to navigate this territory of I'm going to have like the white supremacist parents coming in here and saying, why are you trying to interfere with this indoctrination? Which did happen. Yeah. Uh, And your dad was a monster. Yeah. To some of my teachers where they're like, Hey, I don't want them learning about native Americans. Why are you trying to teach them about this? Right. You know? (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. All right. Let's, that took a different turn. Let's quickly shift off of that. (laughs) To exorcisms. Yeah, well, let's do some follow-up <laughs> here. We we often talk about the Catholic Church. 
Yeah. And usually it's, you know, ranting and raving, justifiably so, about the evils and the looking the other way. The Pope just recently um, did not believe. He had to apologize for not believing the victims of brutal child rape at the hands of Catholic priests. Oh, it's so sorry. So sorry. I didn't believe the victims. Right. Uh-huh. He admitted his quote unquote grave error and apologized for not believing the uh, sex abuse victims in Chile. The Pope and- is like the new Zuckerberg. How many times is he going to apologize? And we believe that he's actually sorry. Well, remember, you correct the behavior. That's really where put your money where your goddamn mouth is. Well, remember, he wasn't just saying I, I need more evidence before I can comment on this. He was accusing them of slander. He was talking about how they need to be quiet because they could get in trouble. He was trying to silence them. Yes. It wasn't, now let's hear these people out. Let's kind of weigh the evidence here. He was he was choosing a side. Yes. And I don't know why he would choose the side of the priest. Um, not a very good track record. I, I, have a, I have a guess. Well, he's a piece of shit. What I'm saying, why. what I'm saying is, logically speaking, I don't understand why yeah. he would side with the priests when not a great track record there. Right. Um, it's not like the first time we've learned about a priest raping a child, right? And so the vicar of Christ had to say that he made um, a serious error here in judgment. Ugh. So apologize. anyway, let's something a little lighter. Okay, <laughs> exorcism class. Yeah, they got like exorcist college going on at the Vatican. Yeah, it's a week-long course, and if you want to get in on it, it's already started, so too late, but maybe next year. It's only $370. Wait, wait. This is for regular people? Well, I think it's just for priests, but um, <laughs> they're, they're maybe pay, maybe you huh? can like pay a priest to like you know get his notes or there's a tuition discount. Maybe they'll do that thing where they like put their slides online. Open science, you know. Oh yeah, open science. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, <laughs> uh, so the the class week long class because that's how long you need to learn how to get rid of the demons. Yeah, to exercise demons from your soul. Yeah. Because that's a real thing. So 250 priests from 50 countries have arrived in Rome to learn how to identify demonic Mm. possession um, and to hear personal accounts from other priests and to find out more about the rituals behind getting rid of them. The rituals. Mm -hmm. So it covers the theological, psychological, and anthropological background to exorcisms. Otherwise known as fairy tales. Good times. The number of priests attending the class has more than doubled since uh, it first started in 2005. So it's get it's only getting more popular, right? You'd think that maybe this would not be popular, but I'm, I'm sure... With- because we're learning more and more as the human species. Well, you know those movies like The Conjuring? Yes. Aren't those about... Of course. Aren't those about uh, demons and demonic possession? Uh, yeah, or, I mean, they're the. I, I don't watch a lot of scary movies anymore. The last one we went to see was the one where I think it was The Conjuring, right? No? Maybe I don't know. It was the one where uh, the girl from Six Feet Under, Lisa from Six Feet Under. That's mm-hmm. the only way I know her. Yeah, <laughs> and the, like the in the preview, she's looking down in the basement, 
and then it's dark behind her, and then like hands clap next to her face. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is like every scary movie. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but there, it's it, it's a bomber. Yeah, like when I, growing up again, we're going back to childhood here. Growing, right. The Exorcist was the scariest goddamn movie I'd ever seen. Like I remember, like <laughs> little feet dangling off the cat. Like my mom's off doing who knows what. Yeah, and I'm at home watching fucking Cinemax, <laughs> watching goddamn The Exorcist. Amazing. But my feet, little feet dangling off the couch. Mm-hmm. And remember, I remember like, oh, that's no good. You got to get those up on the couch. <laughs> Being very afraid. Yeah. But. Uh, those I I can't go to them now because I think I ruined the movie for everyone in the theater because they're hilarious. Mm-hmm. Where movies like you always say, mm-hmm. the really scary movies for you are movies like serial killers. Yeah, like uh, six. Um, what's the Anthony Hopkins one? Silence of the Lambs. Yes, those are the ones that are scary. Yeah, because scary <laughs> serial killers aren't real. Right. <laughs> Um, psychopathic killers they're real yeah and ghosts are not so i (laughs) less afraid of ghosts more afraid of the serial i I tweeted something out the other day that they said (laughs) 25 percent of americans believe something ridiculous about donald trump and uh, i was like yeah well 45 percent of americans believe in angels Mm -hmm. or ghosts Mm -hmm. so uh, people believe dumb shit what are you gonna do Mm mm-hmm I wonder how many people are listening that believe in ghosts and are like, wow, listen to these dicks. <laughs> ghosts aren't real. What do you mean? I, I used to believe in ghosts. I did. I used to believe in ghosts. Cool, bro. Yeah, I had a Ouija board experience. Uh, no, you didn't. Well, I kind of did. and um, You kind of did not. Well, I'm saying I, well, I did have the experience with a Ouija board. I played the Ouija board. Well, one time I had a Monopoly experience, and it was terrifying. <laughs> I yeah. went bankrupt way quicker than I expected. Yeah. It was an emotional time for everybody. I bet it was. <laughs> um, but it, it, was, it, it was a weird deal. Okay, and it, there there was something weird that did happen. There was a weird coincidence. And when I tell the story, people are freaked out by it. Um, and it is freaky to think about. But I, when I look back on it now, I realize that it is just a complete coincidence. And that's it. That's also, the only way also, to explain it. you were a kid. So the memory of the, the kid memory. Okay, well, should we tell the story? Because we should just give people the opportunity. Go ahead. Okay. So I was playing the Ouija board with two of my friends. And we had a family friend who used to live with us. And he got killed by the police. And That's what happens when you live in a white supremacist household. So <laughs> You have asswipes who are criminals who get murdered by police. Yeah, he was killed by the police. And he wasn't killed by the police at our house, but he he had lived with us and then he was killed by the police. So um, <laughs> my my mom had always said that like she could feel him at the house, right? She felt his presence. She saw him as a ghost a couple of times. God damn. And so I was like, well, let's play this Ouija board and see what happens. Let's see if we can talk to him. Okay, his name's Gary. And... Um, <laughs> I just realized... Whenever I talk about the racist uncle, I always say racist uncle Gary. And yeah, yeah. and now That's another thing. Oh my god. Anyway, I, okay. I just got the chills. I know. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, so 
we we were playing it and I didn't tell my mom because my mom had like had the house blessed and like this woman came over and went to all uh. the windows and like did a little chant and she was very freaked out by the Ouija board. It wouldn't have been okay if we were doing this. So she wasn't home. We played it. She also had a big phobia about Boggle too. <laughs> board games in general. <laughs> Just not a real fan of them. You know that I don't believe that this is a real <laughs> thing where I talk to Gary through the Ouija. Of course I okay. know. So uh, we're playing it. Gary, you I know. I can't make jokes. Gary appears and he is like talking to us through the Ouija board. And when I would tell people this story to make it more dramatic, I would lie and say that he gave his his birth date the correct date and I didn't know it. And none, of, and none of my friends knew it. Yeah. And, I, and that's a lie. His birth date was wrong when it was on the board. Hmm. So, um... People that I lied to, there you go. Um, <laughs> it's what kids do. You're a kid. And so uh, what happened, though, is we finished playing. We were all freaked out. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. We talked to him. And I go downstairs because my mom just got home. And she walks in the door. And she was like, hey, I was just at this guy's house. And uh, he had a videotape of the news appearance when we were on the news after Gary was killed by the cops. And I was like, what? <laughs> what are you saying right now? Because it had been years. And you just so happened to connect, quote unquote, right. with Gary. Right. On the same day she comes home Playing and shoots, had watched. Shoots and ladders. I mean, uh, Ouija board. Yeah. On the same day that she had come home and watched this video. So Portal to the Other Side yeah, by I, Milton Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, when I, when that happened, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is confirmation of of the fact that this is real, even though the birthday was wrong. Gary doesn't know his own birthday. And um, I, I thought it was confirmation. So I would tell everyone this story and make it more dramatic. And when I reflect on it, I'm like, no, it's just a coincidence, you know, that, it, you're, that you happen to be doing the Gary thing. Yeah. When your mom came home with the tape. Exactly. Total coincidence. Exactly. Yeah. And some people are going to listen to this and not think that's a coincidence. And I believe it is. You believe it is because it was. <laughs> it is most assuredly a coincidence. Yeah, but we're getting into interesting territory here where I, I'd like to hear from people and their thoughts. We would love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. I remembered the phone number. That's impressive. After having said it hundreds upon hundreds of times. Yeah. What was with last episode? I just forgot the phone number. Something's happening to you. I know. Yeah. So you can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. I'm sorry I interrupted you, Brittany. Well, I just I'm I was trying to do a very um fantastic segue and you I stepped all over your dick right you there. You really did. Yeah. So speaking of the police killing people, um uh, churches have decided, some churches have come together and decided that they are no longer going to call the police. Right. And this is... Like in cases where they're trying to close the doors and they've got uh, a homeless person there who won't leave or someone who's mentally um, having issues. Right. So a lot of times homeless people go to churches because they can find resources there yeah, and people there will help them. And so there's this first congressional church of Oakland that is in a neighborhood where many homeless people are and they come there and some of them have mental health um, crises and they are seeking help and they try to close the church and 
they won't leave. And so they end up calling 911 and getting the cops to come out and take them away. And they have decided, and some other churches are joining with them in this decision, that they're going to stop calling the police. And it's not just for the mental health crises. It's for um, like graffiti and even acts of violence. They say that they're not going to call the police. Because it's too much of a risk that whomever uh, they call the police about may be killed right. in the commission of the, the arrest or the, the problem being dealt with. Right. And in this article, they quote someone who says, can this actually be reformed when it was actually created for the unjust distribution of resources or to police black and brown bodies? So these church people, they actually don't believe that um, this can be reformed that the American police system can be fixed. Hmm. They are taking the position that people should wash their hands of it entirely. So a pretty radical position. I think so. Um, and It's also, um, I believe, hopeless. It's a position without hope. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be, for me, I mean, coming being a former believer and being a former Christian, mm-hmm. that seems to be a larger problem if Christians... And 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 clergy are without hope. That seems uh, like a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they call it divesting from policing, and the project of divesting is organized by showing up for racial justice (S U R J), a nationwide organization that tries to get white Americans working on behalf of racial justice. The four Unitarian and Protestant churches that have joined so far include three in the Bay Area and one in Iowa City. Um, So we've talked about this before, though, because there was an instance in the past where we encountered a very intoxicated male Mm -hmm. and he was so drunk walking through this parking lot that he like couldn't stand up he was having to hold on to objects and get himself through and he was also puking like while he was clear just beer or whatever alcohol it was he was super drunk yeah it was really a bad situation for him and i said oh we should call the police he needs help (laughs) and you laughed at me and you said we we way to paint me as a dick we cannot call the police on him because who knows what's going to happen to him when they get here this was years ago well, when I thought the police were here to help, yes. Right, right. This is before the podcast. <laughs> um, and I don't know if it was before the podcast because I've 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 made this evolution since since being a host of the show. I think so. Huh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was kind of that realization of we had to talk through it, and I was like, well, no, the police, you know, they're they're they come to help, and you're like, yeah, no, they don't, you know. Um, and we had to have a conversation about it. And from my perspective, it was just my own personal experience with the police where, uh, domestic violence would happen in my house. I would call the police. They would come and take my dad away and then everything would feel safe again. And so in that situation for me, they were helpful. Right. And so I kind of associated them helping Right. But it it was also complicated because my parents, being criminals, had an inherent distrust of the police. (laughs) Well, uh, you've probably said this on the show before, but there were two groups of people that your parents told you you could lie to, that you should lie to. No, that we could. 
Oh, you could. Yeah. The only ones we were allowed to. Teachers and the police. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because they're criminals. Right, right. And so you're not supposed to tell teachers or the police what's actually going on at home. Right? So th- I want to clear something up, though. We, we, we said that they, they're, they come to help, but they don't come to help. I think oftentimes, most times, cops do come to help. And then their own self-interest takes over, their own biases take over, and they end up arresting two black dudes at a Starbucks who are waiting for a business colleague, mm-hmm. or they shoot, you know, dozens of times, right. Stephen Clark, who has a cell phone, multiple times in the back because he's got a fucking cell phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they're Galaxy fans and he had an iPhone. Mm-hmm. So I think they do little morbid joke i think they do come to help and then once they get there they turn into they think they're fucking soldiers of fortune like that asshole cop in the hotel hallway yelling at the kid to put your hands down don't pull your shorts up pull your shorts up do whatever and then blowing him away yeah and he had etched in his gun you're gonna die or whatever yeah i don't know what the solution is and i'm sure there's a fair amount of police that are hoping to encounter something like this because they are aggressive and hostile and, For sure, and they just want to take it out on people. I don't think that's the preponderance of police, though. I think that's those are outliers, but there's yeah, too many yeah. outliers. Yes. And so whatever the problem is, I, I think if there's one good thing that's going to come out of this, this story, and this is from the Washington Post, and we'll put it on the Twitter and the Facebook page, and we want to invite your comments. We either, for sure do. Either in comments on those posts or in calls to the show. It's called Churches Make a Drastic Pledge in the Name of Social Justice to Stop Calling the Police. If there's anything positive coming out of this, it is this conversation and people kind of having the realization of, do I always need to call the police to deal with this? Or can we maybe try to work this out? Um, Because I think there's other instances of people being a little too call the police happy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Where something maybe minor is happening and you send the police over there and it can just cause a problem. Um, So we've, we've seen that happen. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's good that people might second guess should I do this? Is this big a big enough deal to do this? Right? It, listen, it's there are no easy answers here. Do you disagree with that? No, no, I, I, I definitely don't because we. I, I'm just trying to think how about how to talk about it because police are necessary. They are necessary. We Absolutely. don't live in some Absolutely. utopic society where bad people don't exist, where you don't have to worry about bad people. No, absolutely. Cops do a hard job. Cops are are necessary because there are assholes in the world. But we have too many assholes in the world who are cops who are allowed to do that job. It's like when we talked about the Sam Harris thing where he talks about, oh, well, that guy got convicted. The system works. Well, let me clarify because I feel like you paused and there was like something wrong with what I'm saying. No, so, I, I didn't have that in my head. Okay, so, so I I'm not saying that people should like stop and think, should I make this call because they're going to die if I make this call? Like, that's not what I'm saying. But in the instance of Starbucks, for example, those men were held for hours. Nine hours. Who knows? And not charged. Who knows if they missed a shift, if they are paid hourly and they missed a, you know, eight hour shift of work. Um, if they failed to pick up their kid at childcare, Right. And it cost them extra money. Right. 
anything. There's all kinds of ramifications for the life. Right. When that happens. It, and that's just speaking like at minimum level life disruption. Right. And, for doing nothing. And they were not charged with a crime. They were just effectively fucking harassed. Right. And so that's kind of what I'm saying. In a situation where nothing's really happening and <laughs> you're making a choice to, well, yeah. nothing's really happening here, but, you know... Uh, uh, I'm going to call anyway. Well, that's why, thankfully, that person in that case of Starbucks got shit canned. Mm -hmm. And the company seems to be acting with some level or some measure of uh, proactivity to try to avoid uh, the, the next the next instance. Absolutely. So. But it's a good article. We would. We'd love to hear what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it. At Dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit Patreon.com slash I Doubt It with Dollamore. Liz. Liz. Upped her pledge. Upped the pledge. And I also want to take a moment to thank Liz because she gifted me a Spotify subscription. Wow. That's I, I forgot that was Liz. That's yeah. and amazing. You get more use out of that goddamn Spotify than than food or air. Well, it is. I get so much use out of it that my data has like tripled. Right. <laughs> because even if I'm not on Wi-Fi, I'm like listening to it all the time. So it's just the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And <laughs> wow, that is saying a lot. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. In addition to upping your pledge, if you would like to join Liz, um, go to Dollar. You can only get gifted one Spotify account. So <laughs> no one else can do that. Yeah. Go to dollamore.com slash patreon and don't forget you have until friday to respond to the message on patreon as a part of the contest if you would like to be entered into co-host the show with us we are doing the drawing on friday uh what time are we doing the drawing we're doing the uh, sunday we're doing the drawing okay we're moving it to sunday so we're gonna do it on the the live stream I think we had said that, and then we had said, no, we're going to do it Friday, and then now we're moving it to Sunday. We're going to do it after Friday, because that's the last time to, to respond, and then either Saturday or Sunday we'll do it. Whether on the show or not, we'll figure it out. There we go. <laughs> it's definitive. Perfect. <laughs> and this isn't the last time we're going to do this, so um, if you do not get selected... Do not feel depressed <laughs> or like it. You missed your only opportunity. We are going to do this again because there's been a very positive response to it. Yeah, I think it'll be a good time. Yeah. So we love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you as always. Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Another insane news cycle. Sunday, we did the show. We talked about the fact that it's just so crazy. And here we are again talking about how goddamn crazy it is. Because Monday, all the information dropped 
about Michael Cohen, attorney to Donald Trump, that it was a criminal, a criminal investigation, that there was this third mystery client that was going to be revealed, that it was revealed that it was Sean Hannity. And then Sean Hannity is coming out denying that he's a client, even though Michael Cohen is saying he's a client. And what was crazy about this is while it broke, Sean Hannity was on the air. And while you would expect him to respond to such uh, news breaking, instead, he was playing extended clips from the Comey interview and not responding. And then eventually, apparently, what I believe to be after he had some time to consult with his other attorneys that are on record, he released a statement that was filled with legal ease about, I have no matter, I've never rep- been represented in a matter by Michael Cohen, I've never been sent an invoice by Michael Cohen, I, uh, I've only had brief conversations about real estate, so it, it, it really, it, it's this weird incestuous relationship between Donald Trump, Michael Cohen, Fox News, who is now standing behind Sean Hannity and the weird world that exists around Trump and this administration. All right. So, yes, the hearing yesterday was about how the materials that were seized in the FBI raids would be processed. That was the outward uh, thing. But there was a big development yesterday that wound up meaning a lot. So this federal judge is saying to Michael Cohen, President Trump's attorney, you need to tell me who your clients are. One client they didn't want to tell. But then after some wrangling, the lawyer decided to say it in open court. Who was that third client? Sean Hannity. Dun, dun, so dun. let's bring back Chris Saliza and bring in CNN senior media correspondent and host of Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter. Brian Stelter, we care that Sean Hannity was this mystery. And Hannity, you know, didn't say I'm, I'm the mystery, but the lawyer didn't want to say his name. Right. It matters because. Well, something's not adding up here. Cohen, lawyer's description of the situation, and Hannity's description are very different. Uh, Hannity is trying to say there are no legal fees paid, no invoices, basically, that Michael Cohen really wasn't the lawyer. But he thinks he has a privilege. But he still has a privilege. This is not adding up. Uh, Fox is not saying a word about this, and it's going to be a mystery both for Hannity's viewers as well as for his critics as well as for his bosses now. And, Brian, I just want to stick with you for one more minute because in terms of journalism, right, the rules of journalism that we follow, there is something called full disclosure, and it works like this. When you have a previous relationship with someone, you say something to the effect of, I worked at Fox News for many, many years and know Hannity and have always had a very pleasant relationship with him. So the viewers yeah. know where I'm coming from. Right. Okay? Hannity talked about Michael Cohen a million times. He's talked about Donald Trump a million times. He's had Michael Cohen on a million times. He never disclosed to his viewers right. that they have this relationship That's where he seeks. Right. So yeah. where he seeks legal advice from him. Right. Um, but Hannity gets to play with the facts in terms of whether he's a journalist or not, and he's said both. But it doesn't matter. He blurs the line. But does it matter 
Does it matter if he's not a journalist? Does, should he have had to have disclosed all of it that? It does still matter. The disclosure for me about Hannity is that he calls me Humpty Dumpty for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, and I enjoy covering him. I think he's a really interesting phenomenon because he does blur these lines. He says he's not a journalist, says journalism's dead. And yet he calls his show Real News and says he has anonymous sources. So he tries to have it both ways. He's an entertainer, but on a channel with a logo with a corner that says news on the bottom of the screen. So as a result, there are certain standards. And I think some of his viewers would have wanted to know about the Cohen relationship, even if they like it, even if they think, oh, good, my guy Hannity, he's tight with Trump's people. That would be a positive right. thing. He still should have disclosed it. I, I think this story shows us how Trump world really works and how tight-knit the relationships really are. It's a reminder about all of these men and their relationships going back decades. Uh, that could be a good thing, or maybe that could be a very bad thing in this Right, case. but I mean, look, Chris, I just think it's important not to get confused about what matters in this. It doesn't matter if he's a journalist or not. We have people no. on all the time uh, who aren't journalists, and if they have a perceived conflict, remember, the bar is very low. If it seems like it could be a conflict, you say it. Sure. So-and-so is coming on, yeah. they have this relationship to what we're talking about, and now let's get after it. And this was a pretty much a no-brain from there. So now it falls to Fox News. So Shep Smith talked about it yesterday, but in an interesting way. He says, so we contacted the PR person for Sean's show and they say this, this, like he was some outside entity. Well, that was odd because these are their standards. It's their brand that's on his program and all the others. I, I think I would urge people and not just because he's on right now, I'd urge people to read what Brian wrote about this uh, last night, because I think he makes a, the most important point, which is Hannity is bigger than Fox News at this point. In some ways, he exists outside of the normal structure. Sean Hannity is not a line producer for Fox News, uh, who, if they did something like this, would be in a lot of trouble. I, I think of him in some ways as uh, uh, when I grew up in Connecticut, Jim Calhoun was the basketball coach of the University of Connecticut. He was the highest paid state employee. He was largely unanswerable because he was bigger than UConn. He was bigger than the president of the university mm. because he made them money. They won national championships. It was That's successful. Hannity. Hannity is bringing them money in that he he is a he's getting ratings he is bringing them advertising dollars yeah. and he is being able to write his own rules but the thing i don't understand is he said last night in this back and forth with alan dershowitz well i have a right to privacy this has nothing to do with your right to privacy if i am out advocating every day for a certain kind of sandwich and then it comes out that me and the guy who founded the sandwich company our friends, it doesn't matter if I'm a journalist or not, I am using a platform, which is television, yeah. to promote something the, without disclosing why I might be promoting that yeah, thing. great point. I mean, listen, Bill O'Reilly was big also, okay? And when it came out that he had all of these payments, these settlements to women, Fox News got rid of him. We don't know why Hannity, you know... But this is very different Hannity. than that. No, we have no evidence of that. But obviously, Michael Cohen's the fixer. We have no idea, okay? We have no idea Except he happening. said it's never involved a third That's party. That's right. That we was don't know anything different. I would not put him in the same basket with Bill O'Reilly, no, not by a big stretch. No, to his point where he says you can't get rid of somebody because they're too big. Yes, you can. Yes, you but you've got to have good reason. Right now, this comes right. in terms of, right should now, he have Fox disclosed it? Know. Yes. Of course. Fox doesn't know what it's about. I'm just saying that the I, I, I reject the idea that you could never get rid of somebody who's too big because we've seen it happen. But the rules can be different based on someone's wattage. So all I can think about is Shep in this moment. And we talk about Shepard Smith a lot on the show being one of the people at Fox News that is an actual news person, an actual reporter. And... Fox, 
well, I don't know if Fox does this, but Shepard Smith goes to great lengths to distinguish himself from the opinion programming. Yes. And, and I think he does a good job. When Fox released their statement saying that they were standing behind Sean Hannity, I feel like they should have said something like that. Uh, Hannity's not an actual reporter. He is an opinion guy. And if he, you know, the fact that he didn't disclose this, that would have been more of a problem had he actually been a real reporter, but he's not. So yeah, yeah. Uh, because he hosts an opinion program, he still has our support. But they didn't they didn't say all that. And so that's really problematic because Fox News knows that they are reaching millions and millions of people that Sean Hannity is reaching millions and millions and millions of people and that he should have, uh, he should feel a responsibility for the information that he is sharing. And he doesn't. And there should be more of an open conversation about that on other networks. Uh, well, there is a conversation about that on other networks and there should be a conversation about that on Fox News. So it complicates things for Shep because he can't really go deep into criticism about Sean Hannity on Fox News. Right, because he's criticizing effectively his own his own uh, infrastructure. So he's, you know, he just signed a contract with them and he's going to be there for a while. And I just, I wonder what he's thinking and feeling now that they issued this statement saying that they didn't know that Michael Cohen was his attorney and he hadn't disclosed that, but they still stand behind him. Very, very bizarre. It really, it really just goes to show that Fox News doesn't fucking care. They care about the money. They care about the cash. They care about the ratings. They don't care about integrity. They don't care about fair and balanced. They don't care about standards of practice at all. Well, the other item of this, there's been a lot of talk now because of the spotlight on Michael Cohen. And even with this um, Stormy Daniels thing where they just revealed the, the sketch drawing that they had done up of the alleged person who reportedly threatened her. And this seems to be a thread, and I'm glad they're talking about this, in this Trump circle, in this Trump orbit of threatening people. You know, uh, we talk about the whole mafioso thing and that Michael Cohen is like the consigliere and Donald Trump kind of fancies himself some kind of a of a, a, a mob boss type, this tough New York guy thing that they put on. That isn't something that they're... Listen, sometimes the guy who wants to be looked at as dangerous and wants to act like he's the dangerous guy is more dangerous than the actual dangerous guy because he's got something to prove and the dangerous guy doesn't. And the threats that are coming out and have come out in the past are very telling of, again, this Trump orbit. President Trump is striking back today after Stormy Daniels and her attorney released this composite sketch of the man who allegedly in 2011 threatened Stormy and her daughter for talking about her alleged relationship with Mr. Trump and saying she should keep quiet about Trump or else. Quote, a sketch years later about a non-existent man, the president tweeted, a total con job, playing the fake news media for fools, but they know it. Of course, the allegation against Mr. Trump is a strong one. 
And in considering its credibility, one should weigh not only whether you believe Stormy Daniels and her lawyer, but whether President Trump and those around him have ever been accused of similar behavior before. Parents, some of the language gets a little spicy, so you might want to hit mute for the next 30 seconds. In 2009, BuzzFeed reports that as Trump's casino business faced bankruptcy, a lawyer for Trump's investors claimed to have received a disturbing phone call saying, quote, my name is Carmine. I don't know why you're effing with Mr. Trump, but if you keep effing with Mr. Trump, we know where you live and we're going to your house for your wife and kids. According to BuzzFeed, the FBI determined the call came from a payphone across the street from the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York, where Trump was taping this segment on Letterman that exact same afternoon. Now, Trump's attorney, Michael Cohen, called that charge, quote, complete and utter nonsense. And speaking of Mr. Cohen, who, by the way, is currently under criminal investigation, in 2015, the Daily Beast published a story including a disturbing allegation by Ivana Trump against Donald Trump while they were married. Co-author of the Daily Beast story, Tim Mack, says he got a message from Mr. Cohen stating that if he went through publishing the story, quote, I'm going to mess your life up, so I'm warning you tread very effing lightly because what I'm going to do to you is going to be effing disgusting. Trump called that story from the Daily Beast about the threat fake news, but then Cohen told CNN that he had, in fact, said things out of anger. In all fairness, who hasn't said something or done something that they regret simply trying to protect somebody that they care about? And I care about Mr. Trump. Michael Cohen was slightly nicer when he threatened college pranksters with the Harvard Lampoon, allegedly. They had pretended to be with the Harvard student newspaper and had taken this photograph with Mr. Trump sitting on the chair of the student newspaper's president. He says, you know, I'm going to come up to Harvard. You're all going to get expelled if this photo gets out. Um, you'll be out of that school faster than you know it. I can be up there tomorrow. And take this guy, Mr. Trump's former personal attorney, Mark Kasowitz. A stranger emailed him asking him to quit his job after an unflattering media report about Kasowitz. According to ProPublica, Kasowitz emailed the stranger, quote, I already know where you live. I'm on you. You might as well call me. You will see me. I promise, bro. And all of that's public record leading to this sketch that Stormy Daniels and her lawyer released this week along with her story of being threatened. A guy walked up on me and said to me, leave Trump alone, forget the story. And then he leaned around and looked at my daughter and said, a a beautiful little girl, it'd be a shame if something happened to her mom. Now, you and I weren't there. We don't know for a fact what really happened in that parking lot with Stormy Daniels or whether the sketch is to be believed. But when weighing the facts, we should all ask, does this seem like a con job, as the president of the United States alleges, or might it fit in a pattern of accusations of threatening behavior? And in the face of all of this, where's the Republican Party? Where is the, the party of family values who you would think it would be reasonable for them to oppose the threatening of a woman and her child in a parking lot? Instead, they're doubling down. Not only congressmen, which we're going to get to, but also the the support of white evangelicals of Donald Trump isn't waning. I've said in the past that I, I believed it would be evaporating. That is actually the exact opposite of what's happening. Right. A new PRRI survey finds that white evangelical support for President Trump is at an all-time high with 75% holding a favorable view of the president. 
and only 22% holding an unfavorable view. The level of support is far above support in the general population, where Trump's favorability is at 42%. So, the general population, 42%. White evangelical Protestants, 75%. What would explain that? They've already they've already tricked themselves into a weird belief system anyway, so it's it's not a far it's not a far uh, jaunt to that, it, because Donald Trump stands for every he is his entire existence is antithetical to the philosophies of Jesus Christ, from the wealth to the selfishness to the braggadocio he he, he exhibits to the to the affairs. To, to the to the dishonoring, the lying, the lack of 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 self reflection, or or asking for forgiveness. So, one of the people that um, does the research at PRRI is um, Dr. Robert P. Jones, and he is the author of the book "The End of White Christian America." And in this book, he basically talks about how white evangelical Christians are fearful because they're losing ground and things are changing. We are progressing. Um, Gay marriage is legal. Uh, (laughs) Abortion is not going to go away. All of these things that they maybe were making headway with in the past they're no longer they're no longer gaining ground in fact they're losing ground so the fear is what he might argue um is what's driving their support of Donald Trump because he is he has the support of the leaders in the evangelical community and those leaders are telling their followers Donald Trump is the guy He's here. He's going to support the policies that will continue to support us and solidify our standing in American society. Hmm. And so they accept that because the leaders are telling them that, I would assume. Um, So partially partisanship, obviously, partially a fear of losing their standing and their power in society, uh, which they are losing. I, I think there's also an element of their beliefs are buttressed by their political leaders. Like, th- listen to this conversation between Anderson Cooper and this GOP congressman trying to get through. Anderson is trying to get the question as, a- answered of about Donald Trump's lies. And about why do you not believe this person, X, but you believe everything Donald Trump says in the face of all the lies and can't even get him to admit that he's ever told a lie to the American people. So, Congressman Jordan, yesterday, Speaker Ryan said that Jim Comey is a man of integrity as far as he knows. Is he wrong? I don't think Jim Comey has much credibility, uh, Anderson. You know, I, I... I thought he was wrong on July 5th when he went out and did his big press conference before the election. I thought he was wrong when he reopened the case uh, in October, 10 days before the election. I thought he was wrong throughout that entire investigation. And I said so both times. When I said so in October, I took a lot of heat from some of my uh, Republican colleagues. But I thought he screwed this thing up from the get-go. And I don't think he has a whole lot of credibility. Just in terms of the rhetoric surrounding all this, uh, the president uh, has referred to his former FBI director as a slime ball refer to the upper echelons of the FBI as a den of thieves and low lives. Are you at all concerned that this can damage the public confidence in the institution of the FBI? 
The FBI's confidence is damaged because of the actions of Jim Comey, Andrew McCabe, for goodness sake. I mean, think about it. Uh, Anderson, Jim Comey was fired. Deputy Director McCabe was fired for lying four times, twice under oath. Chief Counsel Jim Baker was demoted and reassigned. Deputy uh, 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 Counterintelligence uh, Peter Strzok was demoted and reassigned. And Lisa Page, FBI counsel, was demoted and reassigned. These right. are some of the top people at the FBI. Right, so but they, I think they, they were demoted they and reassigned by Robert Mueller himself. After first being selected to be on the team, and we've seen the text messages, which just don't show bias. They show animus towards the president that the American people elected. So these are the top people at the FBI. If anyone's destroyed the credibility at the top, it's those people. The rank-and-file agents, Americans, have the highest confidence in those folks. You don't think the president calling uh, you know, these people lowlifes, uh, referring to the den of thieves, that shows animus? How about the report that came out just last Friday on Andrew McCabe? Here's what he did. Right. You want to talk about scheming and I'm just and asking crafty. if you think the president is showing animus by calling, you know, the, the upper echelons of the FBI den of thieves and lowlifes. I mean, these are long. I think I think he's pointing out the fact that these five people were up to things. They've all been demoted or reassigned or fired. I think that's pretty, pretty telling. Uh, I, w- I want to play something that Comey said in his interview last night uh, about the president. I don't think he's medically unfit to be president. I think he's morally unfit to be president. A person who sees moral equivalence in Charlottesville, who talks about and treats women like they're pieces of meat, who lies constantly about matters big and small and insists the American people believe it, that person's not fit to be president of the United States on moral grounds. Do you disagree with them there? I do. I think the American people spoke loudly and clearly, uh, clearly on Election Day. And they made Donald Trump the president of the United States. I think in 2017, we did some good things for this country, specifically the tax cuts. But Do you think the president lies a lot? Like, like, like Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, like reducing regulations, like saying the embassy should, in fact, go to Jerusalem. I think a lot of good things happened in 2017. Do you think the I president think, lies a lot? Excuse me, Anderson? Do you think the president lies a lot, like Jim Comey says? I do not. I think Jim Comey has leaked information through a friend to the New York Times for the stated purpose of getting a special counsel. I think Jim Comey took over an investigation that never happened before. It had always been the attorney general who had announced the findings, whether they were going to prosecute or not. But I think so. I think Jim Comey, as I said earlier, you his honestly, credibility is, 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 is gone right. because of how he handled the Clinton investigation we, and we how have they seen, started the Trump investigation. I mean, but come on. I mean, you, you, you got to admit this president has said things which are just demonstrably not true time and time again. I mean, the list is a very long one, almost on a daily basis. I think Andrew McCabe has th- said things that aren't true and the inspector general Does did that an make investigation it right? and, and, was, and was fired because of that. Right. And the so you, so you're very, you're very bold in calling on Andrew McCabe, uh, not so bold on the president of the United States. It wasn't, it wasn't me calling Andrew McCabe, it was his colleagues. Okay, I mean, it was okay. so you haven't heard the, the president lie. You haven't heard the president lie. I've not heard the president. has been, always been square with me. That's for darn well, sure. What, what, what the, about the American, American people? The American people elected him president of the United right. States. Okay, but and, have you ever the American, heard the president lie? That's what I'm asking you. And, uh, I've not. And the, and the American people feel like what the treatment he's received from the top okay, people at the FBI I don't think you can talk not, about all of the American people, but I'm asking you just yourself, have you ever heard the president lie? I've not. Really? So when the Washington Post counts hundreds and hundreds of times, none of those are, are believable to you? I've not seen what the Washington Post reported. You're asking, has the president communicated something that wasn't accurate to me? I've not. No, I've no, not, no, I, not, not to, to you. Case. Has the president publicly said anything that is a lie? Well, I, I mean, look, I, I, I don't know of it. Nothing comes to mind. But look, people who talk as much as you and I do, I, I, my, my, my guess is probably, Anderson, you may have said something at some point that wasn't 100 percent accurate. Uh, if I have, I, I apologize for it and I try to correct it as fine. possible. Fine. Have, have you heard the president apologize and correct something? 
I don't know that he said something wrong that he needs to apologize for. I just nothing comes to mind right now. I'm, I'm saying that if that if I would do something like that, I would. I would say, look, if I, if I said something that's not accurate, I would deal with it. But the, I don't know that the president has. Are you kidding me? This is Congressman Jordan, a possible contender to be speaker, to run for speaker in the absence of Paul Ryan. This is political leadership. This is evangelical Christianity. Lying to the American people on CNN about Donald Trump's lies. It is definitive. It's not an opinion that Donald Trump lies. Donald Trump is a liar. The first statement that was made from this White House on Inauguration Day was a lie, a verifiable falsehood about the inauguration size. Donald Trump lies about having seen Muslims dancing after 9-11. Thousands of them he says he witnessed with his own eyes. We know that to be false. He's a liar. And evangelicals overwhelmingly support him. Because their political leaders are in league because of power. (laughs) It is very, very frustrating. Yeah, that's an understatement. Taking care of biz. So Southwest had a little bit of a problem. Yikes. Um, Someone died on one of their flights. First time there's been a fatality in the air or or surrounding American uh, air travel since like 2009. It's been a long time. Yeah. And so Southwest is not taking care of biz, but this pilot, um, Tammy Jo Schultz, she landed the plane safely. He, the engine had blown and like fell off, I guess. Um, I think it just kind of like uh, disassembled and pieces from the fan blades inside the jet engine like shot through the window or something. Yeah, and then broke a window and then a woman got partially sucked out and they brought her back on. Um, but there have been clips released of the pilot talking to air traffic control and she was just so calm and then there's reports coming out about how she interacted with people um when they were getting off the plane so tammy joe schultz one of those pilots tammy joe schultz brought the plane down safely she was a navy fighter pilot before and so many were moved by these images the pilot immediately going back into the cabin when they landed hugging the passengers Martha Raddatz tonight on the pilot and how passengers are now describing her. As one of the first women to fly Navy fighter jets, Tammy Jo Schultz had exactly the kind of training for just this kind of emergency. Unflappable and deliberate, guiding her crippled jet in for a landing. Yes, there were single engine descending, have a fire. Once safely on the ground, she's seen here hugging passengers after the flight. She's phenomenal. She's amazing. The training Schultz got back in the Navy was not always easy. 
Schultz trained in the F-18 at a time when female pilots were not allowed to fly with combat units, and some male aviators were far from welcoming. Just after she left the Navy and pursued a career flying commercial airliners, combat positions were opened up to women who Schultz praised for their tenacity and professionalism. And Martha Raddatz with us from Washington tonight. Martha, those images of that former fighter pilot going back into the cabin to speak with the passengers, to hug some of them. I know you have mutual friends who know the pilot. It really just speaks volumes about her. It does. And they were in touch with her just after this happened. They said she was fine. I said, what did she say about the landing? And they said nothing. Her only concern was for the passengers and especially for the woman who was killed and that woman's family. That does say it all, David. It sure does. Martha, thank you. So she really is a spectacular person from everything that's coming out about her. Pretty remarkable. Um, I was listening to her talking to air traffic control and they played just a little tiny bit of it there, but there's longer clips on the Internet and she's just super calm. And I mean, what a terrifying situation where you're hearing that someone was sucked out of the plane and you (laughs) I mean it's just insane it's like the worst possible situation that you can imagine and you're having to navigate that so she saved all of those people's lives and landed the plane safely and she's taking care of biz you know it's also I think uh, she certainly take care of biz but it's it's also I think there's a there's an element here of humanity that it's one thing when your training kicks in and you kick ass and you and you you perform well, but then also interacting with she took time to interact with every single person on the plane. Right. I I, I don't know if I'm being like sexist, but that seems like pretty female, like a woman nurturing kick ass kind of a like if only we could program that into men to be concerned. Mm-hmm. Like, and I know there are men out there who are, but I don't know. It just it's it's very very badass. Yeah, taking the time to really care for everyone that was on the plane. Yeah, I, I'm probably gonna catch <laughs> catch some shit for that, but it it, it did strike me so. So I don't know this person's name, and so this is going to require some setup. But asshole hockey dad. Yeah, (laughs) you you might have seen this video. There was a little blonde girl, and she was watching a hockey game, the Washington Capitals, and one of the players, Brett Connolly, hit the glass to get her attention. She was she was banging on the glass because she's like. You know, a little mini super fan. Yeah, you know? she, yeah. She was very excited, and he indicated to her that he was going to throw a puck over the the wall, the glass. Yeah, yeah, whatever the wall is. And so you're not, you're not a big hockey fan, Brittany. Well, no. I, I <laughs> now I know this is called a puck. When I was explaining it before, I called it the unknown sports object. Um. So now I know it's a puck. Um. <laughs> unknown sports object so this little girl was so excited she's waiting for him to throw the puck over the thing and he throws it and there's this adult man behind her that grabs it intercepts it in the air and gives it to a boy that is standing next to her okay and she's just completely crushed she watches the puck get handed to him and she's like 
It's dejection. Ugh. It is terrible. It's just terrible to watch this girl. Just she's so upset. And so he goes to get another one because he wants to give her a puck. And he throws a second one over the wall. And the dad grabs it again and hands it to another boy on the other side of her. By the way, this isn't her parent. She didn't know no. who this guy was. No. Yes. So it's not like the dad, her dad. It's some random dickhole. Right. And so he hands it to a boy that's standing next to her. And at this point, I think Brett Connolly gets kind of pissed off. Yeah, he he aggressively bangs the puck against the glass in her like no to her. Yeah. And so again, he throws it and finally she gets it and she's just Beaming. overcome with joy yeah. yeah yeah and it's it's amazing to watch so if you haven't seen it we'll put it on the facebook page but this dad is asshole of today because what the hell man he clearly indicated i'm doing this and it is for her yeah it's for her and she should have been given the puck <laughs> i watched an interview with her on like uh, some canadian network she lives in maryland or dc and it's the the, the washington capitals and uh, she she is like a little adult. Yes. She speaks. Again, it's one of those things where we were talking about earlier, kind of going full circle here, where they're talking about high level stuff. She she was super in tune. It was great. Yeah. One of the things they asked her was, how did she feel when the boy got the puck? And she said, well, I was really sad. But I mean, I was I was happy that he got it. But I was sad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> She's maybe sharing taking care of biz for not being angry about it. Yeah, not punching the kids in the face. Being like, hey, that's my puck. <laughs> that's Britney Page talk. Give me right that. There. No. All right. We're going to wrap it up here, guys. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. Episode 399. That is an amazing number that we've achieved over the course of the last four years. And it's only because of you. If you would like to join our Patreon family, helping produce the show, helping uh, move the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode basis, go to dollamore.com slash Patreon, or you could buy some stuff on Amazon using our affiliate link. Go to dollamore.com slash Amazon. There's also links on the left-hand side of dollamore.com for supporting the show. If you got some extra Bitcoin laying around, we're, we're now accepting cryptocurrency, which is weird and I would say scary, except I don't even know if it's scary because I don't know anything about it. Anyway, we love you. We'll see you next time. Don't forget, if you want to take part of the Patreon contest, reply to the Patreon email that was sent to you with the words, I'm in, and you'll be entered. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Portal to the Other Side by Milton Bradley. <laughs> <laughs>